response. This is the Instant Speed Podcast, sponsored by Red Riot Games. And we've got your flesh and blood news and awesome content right here, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to start you off real quick with the facts. And the first one is the fact that the final numbers are in for the calling in Las Vegas. Big success, if you ask me, about 750 people playing in the main event and over 900 in total that want to get their grubby little hands on that first look at Tales of Aria. So solid, solid numbers for the calling in Las Vegas. And speaking of which, well, the winner of the calling Las Vegas' main event, the uh, the classic constructed, went to Tyler Horsebowl playing Prism, defeating Sebastiano Cavallo on chain. So Prism top dog at the event now keep in mind that the top eight was five chain players a couple of prisms and a dash thrown in for good measure now tales of aria pre-release is around the corner friends so if you're not signed up you might want to go ahead and take a look if there's some any spots left that you can weasel your way into the first events will be held on friday september 17th check your lgs your local game store maybe you can get yourself in on one of those pre-release events speaking of which well uh rtn seasons are you know it's long done and over the national championship info is already posted you can go take a look at fabtcg.com and go find out in your local area are you qualified do you have enough xp for it either way friends there is more big events for flesh and blood coming around the corner and who better to speak to about big flesh and blood events other than the tan and grace our first guest on the podcast coming right around the bend all right for the first guest of the instant speed podcast we welcome the tan and grace to the show who is a competitive magic the gathering player poker pro as well as the host of the mtg rants podcast but most notably and most importantly at this moment right now was at the desk for the calling uh, in Las Vegas for Flesh and Blood, calling all the action, having casted the thrilling finals match. And uh, it's good to have you on the show. Thank you so much for doing this. Absolutely, Blake. Anytime. Awesome. So now the first question is we've got to do a little bit of origin story, as always. I mean, a lot of people may know you, but they may not know about your in- you know, your in- in- integration into Flesh and Blood, your interest in it and such. So where did that spawn? Where was that? Where did that sprout? Okay, so this is going to be an interesting story, especially if you watched all this weekend and kind of really listened to what I was saying. This will probably give you some some better background on that stuff. So um, I do not have the in-depth knowledge in Flesh and Blood that I would want, especially for the show that we did this weekend. Um, I was notified about two to three weeks before that show, before we filmed this, what, two days ago, um, that I would be doing it. And I had never played a game or seen anything of Flesh and Blood before then. So you're looking at... The culmination of me finding out the you know i knew about the game obviously but had no involvement in it for those few weeks and i full dived into it watched everything i could get my hands on on youtube uh you know any other form of flesh and blood content that i could get you know mostly after that you're looking at articles because like you said the game is supposed to be played in the flesh and blood so there's not you know, an online variant, right? Like when you think of games like poker or magic, you can just go download one of their games online and play it that way, right? So if that was a thing, I could have gotten way up to speed way quicker, right? By getting my hands physically on the things or digitally on the things and playing that way. So I just full dove into it, learned as much as I could. Uh, We had a curveball and quite a curveball get thrown into it where I got hit by the hurricane. Uh, I live in South Louisiana, so I lost power for five days during those two and a half weeks. So I did not get to do as much research as I wanted, but I made sure that 
I found all the like top decks in the meta, you know, like the four or five or six that we would for sure see, you know, chain, yeah, you know, that four, kind of four stuff. Four or five you know. iterations of chain plus, plus extra spice. Yeah, sure. Yeah. And so <laughs> I think you can hear it in my calling in some of the matches where like I'm way more sure of what I'm saying when it has to come with like the chain decks or something like that. But like, you know, in certain classes got on screen. I was like, man, I, I just don't know these cards. Like, I, I, I'm sorry. I just didn't have time to learn all this because. You know, in two or three weeks, there was no time for me to learn every single card in the game and learn matchups and learn ideas of what's going on and things like that. So I focused on learning as much as I could, as deeply as I could for the show, and then leaned on my co-casters, who absolutely knocked it out of the park to make yet another baseball analogy here. Um, but overall, it was a great weekend, and I had a very fun time. And I now own quite a bit of Flesh of Blood cards. Uh, there are some local guys to me who play, so I've been playing with them and just learning everything I can. Uh, I love games like this. So if you don't see me doing commentary on all the events coming up, you may see me there as a competitor sometime soon because I think this game's great. Well, that's, I mean, like, and let's be completely fair here. You, you all did an excellent job, and I'm not just saying that because, you know, you're on the, the podcast that. and whatnot. But, I mean, in reality, the, the broadcast itself was uh, phenomenal. Like you mentioned, like, they knocked it out of the park. But, I mean, let's be fair. Again, to use another baseball analogy, if you hit a, you know, if you hit a, a, a double off the wall, that's still, you still count as a run. That's still in yeah. there. Yep, so that you're still uh, you're still putting runs up on the board. But, uh, um, you know, you mentioned that uh, you're, you're getting into it. You're new to this. You obviously have a background in CCGs and competitive card gaming, um, poker as well. Um, a game like Flesh and Blood has essentially, um, for those who are so integrated into it, who are so intimate with this game, uh, to us, it's it's the one of the biggest things out there, obviously. But y in comparison to some of the other juggernauts that exist, namely Magic the Gathering, which has a foothold for you know decades, but in various medium, digital, uh, paper, obviously, uh, where it, it started, but just the competitive scene, the, the local game stores having events, you know, multiple times a week. How can this compete with something as strong and and as deeply rooted in the paper format as Flesh and Blood? That's a good question. I think that hits on multiple layers, right? So there might be multiple answers. I think one of the first things that I would say to any company like this is you can learn from Magic, right? Like Magic has been around since the early 90s. I think I played my first game in 1994 or 1995. I was about 10 years old. You know, I was born in the mid 80s. And so, yes, I'm, I'm old. I'm aware. Uh, you know, going back to then, you're looking at a game that has such a rich history as a paper game before there was any kind of digital product and then had the digital product, right? So you can learn, you know, what they did right, what they did wrong from those things. But the biggest thing you want to do is to be true to yourself. And that goes further being true to your fans, right? And as we saw this weekend, and I'm sure you're going to get into uh, on the show, or you may have already done that, is you saw quite the the show up by, by the people this weekend, right? The fans of the show. I mean, there was 903 people in the Friday event. There was over 750 people in the main event. And... That's astronomical numbers for what's going on in the country right now. You know, everyone within Channel Fireball, within Flesh and Blood, would consider this a wild success. And I think you can also learn from some of the mistakes that have happened in games like Magic the Gathering, where you try to, you try to, you know, fly too close to the sun. You know, you try to do too much too fast. And just be true to yourself. Be true to the people that are playing the game. And don't alienate your fan base. Don't do anything too crazy. You know, like, I feel like the people who make this game... Uh, really have a good head on their shoulders and have really been pushing this the right way and have been doing it at the speed at which they're doing it has been great. And I think this is a really good time to kind of capitalize on that 
that need and that want that everybody has in their life that has been kind of vacated by a lot of the games going away or proving, uh, pushing more digital over the last few years to have something to play in the flesh and blood. So that's what I would say is just do what they're doing and make sure you do it well. Like trying to do too much has been the death knell of a lot of games that I thought had really promising starts to their, to like the game's career, right? The game being shown to people. So is this a flash in the pan? You think, like you mentioned, that this is just the fact that there's a need for this right now because people have been essentially isolated away from what have they've been so passionate about for a long time. I know for me, uh, one of my regular Saturday afternoon activities was to go play Sealed, uh, some sort of limited format at my local game store, go grab Same. a burger on the way home. And I couldn't do that for years. You know, for it's right. been, and it's weird to say years, but it's legitimately been year plus X <laughs> yeah. at this point. And it's... Is this just the fact that there's just pent up, a, a, you know, a, a aggression isn't the right word, but this is, I think aggression works. It though. could pent be up aggression. Yeah, like nine hundred three people at the right. at the main event on Friday is a, is a ridiculous amount of people, seven hundred fifty or so that actually participated in the main event. Is this just the fact that it's it's this 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 urge that has just essentially been been radiating and just gathering this this gathering storm that's finally burst and. I mean, could it be that in Cincinnati in, in, in you know, a few weeks, is that going to be the barometer? Is that the event that's going to essentially be the, 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 you know, the measuring stick for the popularity or the strength of this game? So uh, to answer your first question, do I think this is a flash in the pan? If you asked me five months ago, absolutely, I would have said I think it is. You know, it's like just in, another game that you hear about coming and go. You'll, you know, you'll hear about it. It wasn't even in my local store, you know, maybe a year ago. I don't know. I didn't go to my local store as much lately, right? But I have watched it grow at my LGS from a few people playing it to now more people play it in person than play Magic the Gathering. And, you know, there's fan pages everywhere, too. So while I would have said yes months and months ago, and not just because I'm involved in it, uh, you know, about a month or two ago, one of my buddies who's really into stuff and has his own LGS, he's like, this game's for real. Like, people love it. It's got an almost like a cult-like following, you know, overseas. Please don't take that the wrong way if anybody's hearing, you know, hears this in English, it might not be their first language. I think I'm, I'm being very sarcastic with that. But um, I definitely don't think this is going to be a flash in the pan whatsoever. I think this game's around for, going to be around for years and stuff building on this. As for the upcoming events, I think it's good that you mentioned Cincinnati and nothing against the cities, right? You know, we have, we have four cities that are getting callings, one of which is getting a double up, right? Orlando's getting a calling and uh, Nationals. But when you look at all four of the cities, right, you look at Las Vegas, Dallas, Cincinnati, Orlando, one of them sticks out, right? Like one of them is not like the other in that Cincinnati. And when you think of like big tourist destinations with fun stuff to do, things around it, you know, kind of a, a city that is known for, you know, people going there, having a lot of fun, tourism, things like that. Cincinnati is not one that jumps out at you. And I'm, I'm sorry, uh, people from Cincinnati, if you're listening to this, I'm not trying to hate on your city. It's yeah, just, there's there's some Bengals yeah. fans that are just like stewing right now. Well, they got enough to be mad at with their football team. <laughs> yes. They don't need to be mad at me. By the way, go Joe Burrow. But anyway, um, yeah, but like when you think about, it, you know, you think of Orlando and you think of like, you know, Disney World, Universal Studios, a lot of fun stuff to do their beaches, right? When you think of Dallas, like, you know, you think of a bunch of sports teams. It's a huge city with a very diverse uh, culture, great food. You can't say enough about Vegas, right? Like, uh, entertainment capital of the world. I'm not surprised the numbers were as huge as they were being the first event and Vegas. That's like, if, if you want to guarantee your city having, you know, a big showing for an event, Vegas is the one you go to, right? Like, that is your go-to city. 
So I think Cincinnati is a good barometer. Like you were saying, it's a good one to test this because I think Dallas and Orlando, they already have like a rich amount of people around them. Dallas has infinite people that play card games there. Same thing with Florida. So I'm hoping Cincinnati brings it. You know what? Everybody at home, I'm challenging you right now. If you're listening to this and you want to make me eat my words or whatever, show up to Cincinnati. I'm going to be there. Make me eat my words. You know, have a bunch of people show up. We'll have some fun. We'll play some flesh and blood and come tell me how wrong I was, you know, but like, I wouldn't be surprised to see the numbers take a dip there, you know, but maybe the Midwest has just been looking for this. And so they're going to, they're going to actually flock to that. And maybe it's the, it's the biggest one, you know, I wouldn't be utterly surprised if it happened. Well, there's like a two, it's a, it's a double-edged sword in a certain regard because there's a possibility even where, you know, everybody, uh, you're right. I mean, the, 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 the sparkle of Cincinnati isn't the same as, you know, the lights and shine of Las Vegas, obviously. But there might be a situation perhaps where people have seen what these callings can be like and they're, you know, the, the loss of interest because it's not Las Vegas might be picked up from the people who are saying, you know what, I missed, the, I missed out on Las Vegas. Good point. Let's go to this. And I know that I was one of those people. I was geared up, ready to go. Unfortunately, you know, COVID is what it is health issues etc it just didn't happen cincinnati is a nice you know it's closer it's not as you know big of a, a like i said a sparkling city but it, it's a possibility so we'll see and and i like what you're saying there um you know it, one of the greatest things would be perhaps a, a follow-up episode of the instant speed podcast where tan and grace shows up and tells me all 900 names of the people that told them he yep. was wrong that would be I amazing. will take the hour that it takes to do it. My mea culpa, whatever you want to call it. I'll I'll say I'm sorry a million times. I'll write a I'll write a love letter to the city of Cincinnati. <laughs> Every, I, I'm all for it. You you and Pete Rose together can both do it. There, yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the other thing about Flesh and Blood, obviously, is the fact that the name itself, Flesh and Blood. I mean, this has been beaten to death by now. But is this a mistake? And I know that this is a, a bigger question, but just distancing itself from the digital media. Um, you know, there's no online platform officially for this obviously people kind of skirt around it with the tabletop simulator etc but right. um th this has just been really uh hammered down real tight that the developers are saying no we're not developing anything about this we want people to sit across from each other and play cards um i don't think it's a miss right there's something to be said about like we we know what we are like this is what we want to do we're going to stick to it I think being 100% firm and saying they'll never do anything digital might be a small mistake. And from the, okay, so I have a business minor from a good business school. And that part of me is like, you're missing out on so much money, you know, when it comes to it, like, can you imagine playing flesh and blood on your phone while you're, you know, while you're taking oh, yeah. your bus to work or, you know, you're taking your commute to wherever, you know, um, so obviously digital products are the future of card games, but at the same time, you're also hitting that nostalgia, right? Because, like, you know, I, I messed around with, like, Hearthstone. I was big into magic and stuff like that. And, and in Hearthstone, one of my favorite things that I have from Hearthstone is a physical card that uh, my now wife, my then-girlfriend at the time, she got me turned into a Hearthstone card. And I have a physical copy of it, like, in a, in a hard case at my house. And then a few of my other personal favorite cards, she got them, like, she got me physical copies of it because I have such a, a nostalgia with that, right? You know, I've got cards I've owned since the 90s, you know, that have, like, concrete scrapes on the back of them because when we were kids the way you had your cards were you put a rubber band around them, you put them in a sandwich bag and you brought them to school because we didn't have sleeves back then right you know we didn't know to take care of all this stuff that was gonna be worth thousands of dollars and stuff like that now so there is something to be said about just steering into you know what you are and you know consistency right with your people at home you know this is always going to be a physical thing and so 
I do think they might be missing out on some money somewhere, but if that is not their main goal, which let's be honest, that's great if it's not their main goal, because we've seen some games definitely die or become worse by making decisions purely made by profit. So yes and no, I think is my answer. All right, I get what you're saying there. I mean, by just staying sort of firmly into that element of this is a game that you play in person i mean there's you know you're really adhering to the romanticism of the card game genre absolutely but, and, and the, the the personality of it and i i completely agree with you but uh you know when it comes down to dollars and cents i mean it it seems like there's it there's a it's not as deep in terms of mechanics that exist as other card games might um you know like um, like magic or or others that have so many different triggers and interactions i feel like this is something that would be fairly easy to do but it's agreed the, it's just the not doing it part that is is part of i guess the culture or the mantra of of um of the developers and then and i can respect that because for now it seems like it's great and the fact that i go out to my local game stores you know once or twice a week for these little events these armories these little you know matchups I love it because it also creates a, a local meta versus whatever the internet meta is that boils down. You know, if there's if everybody's playing chain at one store, maybe the other store is loaded with prisms. It changes how you sort of th see things. So I'm all for it as well. And, um, you know, speaking of local metas and such, the fact that this game is still relatively new and everybody culminating into this massive event in Las Vegas that you got to cast, which is awesome to see in general – the quality of play that you got to see. Now, everybody's fresh in this, and you were mentioning that you're, you yourself as a caster are, are just as green as a lot of these players who, you know, at the very best, some of these players have not been playing for, you know, upwards of a year. They're still pretty down pat with, um, they might be down pat with what they're playing, but there's nobody out there who is, you know, the hard knocks elder statesman who has been there from the beginning. I mean, they exist, obviously, but it's not the same as somebody who's like, I've been there since Alpha for, for Magic. I know everything right. inside out. I've been playing. I have 26 or 27 years of experience. The quality of play for this, for this game, how would you rate it? The games that you got to cast, you know, how would you rate the quality of players? I was impressed, honestly. I, it's not that I expected low quality play. And let's be, let's be honest, I'm not the expert in calling out, you know, if someone's play was super high quality or super low. But overall, I was super, super impressed. You know, we had a players to watch list of like, you know, the people that were like known players had won RTNs, won multiple RTNs, were known as some of the best players or were like some of the highest rated players in their area. Like we kicked it off uh, with uh, Dante Delfico in uh, round one who ended up making top eight. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, no, I just want to slow it in there, uh, throw it in there. Beat him in draft in Monarch. A couple there you weeks go. Ago. Just saying. There you go. Just saying. That's a good feather in your cap. That oh, kid he's is a, really good. Yeah, he's a, he's. A, I mean, he we're from the same city, and uh, he's usually at the same uh, LGS. Is really cool dude as well. And uh, I mean, very secretive. Always in the corner with his uh, his playtest partner. Doesn't let anyone watch, and you respect that. Yeah, and I I think part of that isn't necessarily like there's there's some stuff there right like he's trying to you know keep his edge you know something but i think he's actually just like he didn't really necessarily want to be on camera and i'm like buddy you're gonna be on camera this weekend if you win at all like you know you're one of the best players in the room you're very good we're gonna want to watch you play you know that kind of thing and he'll get more used to it as he goes but he's definitely a um a reserved person i think is the best way to put this right you know he doesn't like throw himself out there kind of like I wouldn't say I'm the exact opposite of it, but I'm definitely a very public person when it comes to this stuff. I'm very public facing. I'm very open about everything. I'm like, I'll give you my deck list ahead of time. Like, here you go. I don't care, you know, kind of thing. 
And that's not a bad thing on either side. It's not, a, you know, I'm not saying there's a, there's a good or a bad way to do it, but overall the quality of play was really, really good. Um, we saw it the whole, the whole weekend through, there wasn't too many times where I'm like, that's a glaring mistake. And honestly, I'm trying not to do that too often in the booth because a, who am I to say that over some of these people, but B, you know, sometimes I definitely saw some people maybe not understand their role in a matchup, you know, like they knew they were supposed to like attack their opponent, but maybe not exactly how, or maybe they, you know, they, and it's like what you said, right? They're relatively new. This is the first real big event in North America. So this might be some of the, one of the biggest things that some of these players have ever played in. They even talked about it on the cast about being in the situation that some of these people were in, you know, super late in a tournament. You know, you can't really afford to lose anywhere. you got like a round or two left and your back's against the wall and you like have to win out and like hope and like that can get to you. Right. And I didn't see any spots where a glaring, you know, mistake was made out of like nerves, you know, greenness, anything like that. Overall, the play was really, really good, you know, this whole weekend. And I wanted to add one more thing when it comes to that, too. And it wasn't just the play that impressed me this weekend, but it was the attitude of everyone involved as well. Players, judge staff, staff from Channel Fireball, just everyone was excited to be there, right? right? You mentioned the two games that I'm like known for the most and I've been around the most. It's poker and magic. And you get kind of the, those players can be known for being a little salty, right? Like magic players can be a little whiny, a little salty. Poker players definitely can be really salty, especially when they lose, because the only way we keep track of like who's winning or not, we keep track with money. So like that's a that can be a really hard thing for people to do. You're like, oh yeah, I did not do well this week. Well, that means I lost a lot of money, right? You know, I didn't just lose matches. You know, it's quantifiable by stuff going out of my bank account, kind of thing. So yeah, that, that hurts real um, hard. That that stinks. Yeah, and so like I played the world premiere. I played all six rounds because I just wanted the experience, right? Like, and not just the experience of playing the game. I wanted the experience of playing in that. And everyone, I mean, the energy in the room was palpable, right? Everyone was excited. Uh, when the people opened the fables, the whole room went nuts. Like one got opened only like a couple tables away from me. And every content creator uh, just rushed over there with their cameras. The dude, it's like he had just, like he got a golden ticket, right? You know what I mean? Like out of the candy bar. And everybody was just, he was like, you know, po posing for the pictures. And then playing all of my rounds, like I remember one of my opponents, um, I just ran him over. Right. And I don't mean that like I played better than him or whatever. It's just, you know, his deck didn't function super well. It didn't it didn't work out. And mine just like curved perfectly. And he was genuinely excited afterwards. He was like, hey man, great games. I can't wait to get to like the next round and play some more. And I was just like, usually in magic, I try to be very reserved after that, very quiet. If they say something, I'll say something back. You know, I'll be like, Hey, it was nice to meet you. If they don't say anything, you know, blah, blah, blah. Right. You know, just kind of quietly go about my thing. But everyone this weekend was like you know, fist bumping, shaking hands, doing whatever, high-fiving, if you were okay with touching people. Um, the the cosplayers this weekend were top-notch. Everyone looked exactly like the cards. It was amazing, male and female, both sides doing amazing things. Just, I loved all of it. It was a once-in-a-lifetime experience, and I can't wait to do it again. That's one thing I got to just add on to is the fact that you're right. The yeah. attitude um, of the players from competitors, I've, I've done three different RTNs, and one of the most exciting things uh, for me was losing a match to a deck that I had never faced off in my entire life. And it was a, uh, it was essentially a Bolton Saber 
come at you with um, a, a just a bunch of Luminas and just swinging that thing like just a windmill of fury towards me. And <laughs> it was the first time I had ever, uh, you know, experienced this. I had heard of it. I did not know how it operated, but I sat back and basically uh, the guy that I was playing against, I had met him once or twice before. And when we when it occurred, I basically just asked him, I said, this is it, right? I have no cards in hand. You're 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 completing the, the you're going the, the whole way right down to the like final station, right? And he's like, yeah, I said, this is incredible. I'm like, just walk me through this because I want to see how you're doing 28 damage to me in one foul swoop. And it happened. And it was the most brilliant thing. And again, it was a situation where um, they were excited to pull it off. I was excited to get absolutely dusted by this combo. <laughs> and But moving forward in that, ex- like I spent a couple minutes afterwards where he explained to me the important parts of that deck and how it worked. Two matches later, I faced off against another Bolton combo, and I beat it. And it was because of that interaction. And it's it, and I cannot stress this enough, the fact that um, everybody I have played with, everybody I've interact with, interacted with in this game, within this sphere, has been exceptional and has been very, very um, engaging and welcoming and, uh, and like you said, excited. And I wish I could have been there just to see, like you said, the, the, the rush of the first person. It's not just the first person to pull... A fable in that room it's the first person to pull that fable from that set ever and that itself period yeah is phenomenal um so before we just wrap up here uh we're gonna take this just to the end here which was the the chain versus prism final which you got the the privilege of casting and uh just walk us through that you know just the the thoughts of you being there it's your first uh, it's it's essentially the first cast ever, the first major event ever broadcast with, you know, an official air to it, so to speak. You're casting the final. It's Chain versus Prism. The first thing I want to ask you is, surprise, obviously, that it's Chain in the final, and surprise that it's Prism in the final. Not surprised by Chain. Uh, after, you know, all the research that I did going in, I expected Chain to do well. It it over it overdid my expectations. I think it was like forty four percent. I think of the day two meta. It was five of the top eight decks. You know, we only had three decks in top. Eight. I think it was one dash, two prism, five chain. So I kind of expected that, right? Like I expect chain to be the first living legend hero in this game as well, just because of how broken I think it is. But we'll see what happens. Everyone keeps thinking the next set's gonna be the death of chain. But one thing in every card game that I've ever seen is when a deck is this good or this far ahead of a lot of the other things that you know, they can usually adapt to be good enough to beat the other stuff. So we'll see. I mean, you know, that's that's a thing that might not happen. I was sort of surprised to see Prism in the finals. I didn't really have it on my radar as being one of the top contenders coming in. Maybe, you know, in the upper echelon, right? Like in the upper half of the heroes, but not, you know, one or not one, definitely not one, maybe not even second or third. But after seeing, you know, we, uh, I've, I've, Tyler won it, right? That's the guy's name, Tyler, if I remember Tyler right, correctly. Yeah. yeah, Tyler, yeah. I didn't want to say his last time. I knew I was going to get it wrong. But watching Tyler play for three or four rounds of the tournament, I was not only impressed with his deck, but impressed with his play. Because if you go back and watch his matchups, he plays through the gauntlet, right? Like, he plays aggro matchups, plays control matchups. And you could tell he plays at the same pace the entire time, and he plays very confidently, like he understands his matchups. But he plays the deck completely different in a lot of those matchups. And you could tell that he found the right deck for that weekend, right? You know, his Prism deck was not only good against Chain, which he said he was 7-1 against in the weekend, but I watched his matchup versus other control decks, and it did not seem close. Like, if he would have lost to another control deck, I would have... I don't know what I would have done. I, I didn't think it was possible. He was so far ahead of him, the way that his deck plays out. 
And, you know, you're talking about it, he played against eight chain decks that week, and it went seven and one. So that's a big indictment on how good his deck is. And the chain players, A, maybe need to adapt, you know, to what's going on in the format to beat them. And B, just understand that deck because it's probably going to be pretty popular now, even though I understand it's very expensive. You know, people might not have all the cards they need for that deck. But the thing is, once you understand a deck a little bit more, you can attack it from a better angle, if you get what I'm saying. Because, you know, there's some stuff to said, you know, maybe in the finals had the chain player understood the matchup or knew the cards a little more, you know, had had seen the deck list other than right before the game starting, you know, he he might have had a better chance of winning that game, you know, kind of thing. So uh, just absolutely great finals. And to kind of answer the other part, I was honored to be a part of the finals, right? To be one of the two casters in, this, in the seat to actually do the finals. And, you know, we had talked about this, uh, the whole group of I, you know, Armada, Red Zone Rogue, and I had talked about that. It was a great great honor to be a part of that this weekend because like you said it's the first big one with like an official feel to it right that had ever been done and we got to do it we were the first people to do it so we shaped the narrative moving forward right you know we wanted to come up with phrasing you know or certain things like that the way the cast was done a certain level of professionalness a certain le level of casualness all of it builds off of that right all of it builds off of us and i wasn't trying to make us nervous i was like this is an amazing opportunity that we had and so getting into the finals I was a little bit nervous, but I felt really comfortable because A, I'm, I was pretty comfortable casting chain games. And then, um, that sounds like a weird phrase. And then I had cast Tyler playing Prism all day long. I felt like I kind of understood his deck pretty well, right? So I got to cast the final. Um, you know, I got to lean on Armada quite a bit because that kid's a superstar, by the way. I think he's going to be an absolute superstar playing or casting this game, whatever he wants to do. I'm surprised the guys are just flooding in, follow in followers right now. So do yourself a favor if you're listening and you haven't followed Armada, the Armada, make sure you go do that. But, um, yeah, I, I felt confident enough. And then I just kind of wanted to make sure that I was without overdoing it, without overhyping it. I didn't want to turn into, um, you know, a WWE announcer. I wanted to stress the gravity of what was going on. And in those last couple turns, like the gravitas of like, we're getting closer, right? Like Tyler is getting very, very close. Is this going to be the last turn of the match? Is this the last turn we're going to see? before chain loses the finals and this prism deck takes home the first calling before tyler gets this trophy you know kind of thing because it's an awkward spot and as a player too to sit there and play through those games because you know i've won big tournaments for some games or come really close in other games and playing out those last few turns like it's very different than anything else you play and so i was hoping people at home kind of got that feeling and i i think they did especially like seeing tyler afterwards and how happy he was and i want to say this too I got to hand him his prizes. I got to hand him his trophy and hand him his his uh his golden tunic. And while that tunic's worth just a bajillion dollars, right? You know, it's worth so much money. You could see the pride on his face of him winning the tournament. You could see the reaction on him on the players' cam when he wins the tournament, and then him hoisting that trophy. There's like a really good GIF on Twitter of him hoisting the trophy, and you could tell he was just so proud to have won that event. I love seeing that out of a player. I mean, there's there, obviously the the value of that tunic is from a monetary yeah. standpoint is great. The money that he's won as well, but I think you're right, and I think that there's actually uh, a lot of um, the the pride. I mean, these are players yeah. that would probably, you know, what if if there was no cash prize associated with it, they would still be just as beaming at the end of it. And uh, like you mentioned, Tyler seemed to just be a maestro when it came to his own deck, knowing his own matchups and practicing against what he had to come up against. And like you mentioned. Um, you know, against the aggro matchup, against the chain matchup, which in itself is its own beast, uh, against the other control matchups and such. Um, there was one aspect. First of all, I just want to double back on this, the fact that you're saying you don't want to call it like a WWE match, but I would pay 
lots of money to hear uh, Jim Ross and like have Urser when the Urser toku came out and hear the the Stone Cold Glass. Oh break. by golly! Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> by God, that's Urser's music. Like that would be yeah, exactly freaking amazing. <laughs> that would have been amazing. Um, things to think about in in future tournaments, perhaps. Nonetheless, sure. um, you know, um, there was a moment, and like you said, that. You, I, I remember listening to it, and I rewatched that match a couple times. Where you saying is like, I think that he has it. Like you were talking, you were actually quite confident in calling the fact that Sebastiano Cavallo, uh, the chain player in that finals, had he had it. You're like, this is a massive turn for him. He's gonna get it. This is where he's gonna convert. And just like that, uh, Tyler was able to just pump the brakes on that entire plan. And I don't know if uh, how many sh- soul shackles by the end of it, 15, 16, or it was just this absurd number. The highest number I'd ever seen, for sure. It, right. Yeah. And, uh, it, I mean, it, it was all moot at that point, nonetheless. But for yourself in that position, and I know that, you know, you and I are both casters, and there's some certain pride that you want to have in knowing what the lines are, and you don't want to give away an outcome and let you kind of want to live in that moment. But the fact that you yourself as a caster may have been thrown off in the fact that, like, the players themselves are are throwing you as a caster off because they're pulling off the stops uh, on, on what could be lethal turns, and that's exciting from your standpoint, too. Oh, absolutely. You know, there's that uncertainty, like, does he have it here? You know, you're trying to build excitement. It's hard to keep up with every little thing, right? Like, people say, oh, it's easy to cast because, like, you get to see everything. You can see their hands sometimes. I think it actually makes it harder because you have so much more information all at once and you're trying to convey all of it at once. And, yeah, I mean, you've been in the seat. You you know how difficult it can be from both ends. And, yeah, you're not always going to have, you know, all the right things. They have a slightly different deck list. You know, you're trying to pump up and hype up exactly one turn. Also, there's some professionalist that, that uh, some professionalism that gets attached to it. Where, like, let's say, you know, I did know that Tyler was going to win like three or four turns before, which it, it was. You could kind of see the writing on the wall the last few turns, right? Like Tyler, Tyler had this; he was going to win. But there's that still that that possibility that that huge turn comes from, from Sebastiano. You know, like you know, you're you're unsure, right? And so you want to pump that up. Like you don't want people to like tune out or not have. Like, you don't want to run it for somebody as well, right? right? You don't want to be on turn six and be like, well, there's no way the chain player can really come back from here, so it's pretty much over, but we're going to have to sit here for 10 minutes while the Prism deck does its thing for the next six, seven turns, right? You also don't want to do that. But again, like, you don't want to, you don't want to, people at home to feel dumb. You don't want to dumb it down for them, but at the same yeah. time, like, you, it's an entertainment thing, right? Like, you're trying to do your job well and tell them what's going on on the screen with the information that you have. There, there's a fine balance I find where, again, Absolutely. I, I mean, when you're, especially in, in, in the um, ever so uh, loving and tolerant eyes of the Twitch chat, which are always out there. If you are calling a match, you cannot be the one where there's, you know, a few turns left to say, Oh, it's all over because no one's going right. to care anymore. You, ha- but at the yeah. same time, you have to play to it and sort of build a little bit of the tension and a little bit of that narrative and continue to drive that narrative. Whereas some of the people will just think that you're an idiot. You're like, how could he possibly think that there's a chance it's over where it, for us, we know that it's probably in the bag, but we still mm. need to pump those tires just a little bit to make sure that there's a little bit more, you know, a little bit more runway for this game to go. Um, honestly yeah there honestly there's a thing too where um just to use the word you used it's uh i'm on i'm almost supposed to be the idiot right like as play-by-play like i'm supposed to bring it into everyone's home right and and an idiot's probably not the word i want to use here i'm supposed to make this um what's the right word i'm looking here approachable for everybody at home and like right yeah we we and we've done this in other games too like magic or poker where like 
I can do this and talk about this in a way that it's going to alienate everybody, but like the top 1% of like super competitive players, but that's not your target audience either, right? You know, a lot of these people are seeing this game for the first time as like a big, big thing. Even if they played it, they've never seen it on Twitch before, right? They may have watched a YouTube video or like, you know, watched the professor's YouTube video or something on it. Like that's how, that's the first way I learned, right? was going to the professor's uh, YouTube and seeing his how to play video. And I had never actually seen the cards in person, stuff like that. So like, you want to make sure that you give them a good product and stuff, right? So like at the same time, it's it's just like you said, like I'm trying to make this as approachable for everybody. That is my main job. That's why I was hired, right? You know, they didn't want another expert in the booth. Like, why would you need one? You've got two two sitting right next to me in Red Zone Rogan Armada, right? Who've put, you know, years into working into this game already. You know, I've put weeks, you know, but my job is to make it feel like, you know, we're sitting at home. You're watching it on your computer. You're watching it on your t television, whatever. And I'm just sitting right next to you talking about the game, right? You know, I'm just like the I'm just like the sports announcer that you watch. If you watch sports, or whatever, I'm just kind of guiding you through the game, and we're giving you little tidbits here or there. If you look away for a minute, I'm still there to bring you back in and tell you what's going on and really paint that picture for you, right? So, yeah, like you know, sometimes I'm gonna miss things, or sometimes I'm not gonna call stuff right, or I'm gonna call it a little differently than you see it. But at the end of the day, I'm just trying to make an entertaining product for everybody at home. And you've done an excellent job of that, Tan. And again, thank I want you. to thank you very, very much for uh, being a part of this podcast. We do have one more segment. It's called Go Again. We're going to ask you some little bit of rapid-fire questions. So I hope you're ready for that, Tan, because we're going right uh, around the corner. We're going to be hitting up that. So if you're ready, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we will be back just after this quick commercial break from our sponsor, Red Riot Games. Hang tight, friends. We'll be right back. This episode of the Instant Speed Podcast is brought to you by Red Riot Games, the place I go to play Flesh and Blood. Not only do Steve and Matt make you feel welcome at the store, but they have hands down the best pricing on singles you will find out there. Trust me, as someone who panic buys a lot, I'm always grateful for the great prices and awesome services by the team at Red Riot Games. Red Riot Games is also a fantastic place to play in a bunch of events and get your hands on one of their custom playmats. OES, rep your favorite hero while crushing your opponent's soul with a flurry of Kadachi strikes. You can support the podcast by using the link in the description the next time you want to score a sweet carry-on husk or just foil out a playset of belittles. All right, friends, we're about to go wide here uh, with Tan and Grace as I've got an arsenal full of questions. This is called Go Again, Rapid Fire Again. Uh, you know, as short or as long as you want to make them, but uh, yeah, we're going again on each one of these, Tan. And so uh, until that question combat chain is closed, you're on the hook here, buddy. You ready to roll? Yeah, let's go. All right, question number one. Is Chain fair or is he overpowered? Uh, I'm going to go with overpowered. Uh, it's pretty obvious that it's the quote unquote best deck in, in the entire game. The fact that once you sort of get running into you know, soul shackles turns four five and six, that you're getting, you know, double the hand size of your opponent. A lot of times if your bandages are good, just make the deck really, really hard to keep up with in those mid to late turns of the game. Yeah. One of my favorite things is the rule book that says, uh, you draw up to your intellect. Well, unless you're chained, that's a whole different. Unless you're chained. Yeah. Exactly. All right, here we go. The slickest play that you have ever witnessed in cards. Now this can go as far back as you want. Oh, in like in any card game? I hey, why not? Sure. Flesh and Blood. Uh, so for Flesh and Blood, I think one of the some of the coolest ones, just to shout out Tyler yet again, uh, you know, the winner of our event is he had a lot of cards in his Prism deck that you could play at instant speed and he would have them in his arsenal and it would make people commit a Command and Conquer, which is a very good card a lot of these decks to block with, 
against the the prism decks and they would you know try to make sure they got this this command and conquer in to get his card in arsenal and he'd just be like okay we'll pay for that card to come out of my arsenal and now that card and your whole line and your whole turn are just a lot less uh, effective than you originally thought um as for some of the slickest ones it's hard to go like super into it without you know if the people don't know the games but really just like anytime a player just demonstrates an absolute understanding and mastery of what they're doing versus what the other person's doing and just gets to play you know circles around them that kind of thing because like you get that a lot in like poker and magic but you'd have to talk like about real minutia type stuff of the matchup and stuff like that it's kind of like when you're when when you fold like a a, a suited king queen because you know your opponent's holding like the ace king or something like that. yeah yeah when you yeah. when someone just demonstrates a higher level of of knowledge than the other person and then sometimes when the other person realizes it too, you see that look on their face of like, oh, I just got got, you know, that kind of thing. And I've been on both ends of it. It doesn't feel good or it's the best moment of your life. So, All right. So what's the worst play you've ever witnessed? Uh, probably some stuff that I've done, honestly. Uh, I've definitely messed up. Or, uh, so like in Magic, we had these things called PTQs that were pretty much the RTNs of Flesh and Blood. You know, it would qualify you for like a pro tour or whatever. And uh, I remember once I was uh, about to win to make the finals of one and i just brain farted whatever you want to call it where i just said something i knew when to do it like i knew the timing of it like i needed my phase to shift or whatever and i just said do this thing in response instead of do half of it in response finish the other half of it after what they're doing finishes and i just kind of like really really messed up and it was like very embarrassing uh i was definitely seasoned enough to know the difference and know the the correct line there and just really really messed it up and then cost myself probably a free trip to i think that one was for hawaii or japan oh. so, yeah so i've cost myself a free trip to an event there which okay. well let's that, just... that hurt <laughs> yeah and i'm guessing that you've never sort of messed up those little marginal like timing plays since no nope. yeah, yeah no, if i make one of those mistakes i never do again so who's the best fashion bud player that you know so Probably somebody that I met over the weekend. I met uh, Brendan Patrick and Dante Delfico this weekend, and just their understanding of the game seemed to be at a different level than anyone that I had come into contact with. You know, I got to kind of like interview them, talked about the game. They walked me through some of the really complicated things that were going on of chain. I was like asking players that were like known for what they were, you know, doing. Like I went and sought out like a really good Katsu player. I went and sought out a really good, you know, Prism player if I could. I would have loved to have talked to Tyler before the game before if I would have known. But those two definitely stood out. Uh, Brendan Patrick's YouTube channel was really influential in some of my being prepared uh, for this event, uh, especially the video where he showed how Sabre's Bolton worked because that was a, a hyped deck coming into this event. It was doing really well in Europe right before. We ended up not getting really any of it on camera. Uh, I thought a deck would top eight with it, so it kind of like maybe underperformed a little bit on the weekend, but I needed to have at least a little understanding of what was going on. It's kind of like what you talked about. In fact, uh, I was in a Discord with you and you talked about losing to that deck and the guy you know, showing you, and I was like, I need to look at this and see what this is because I have yes, no yes, idea yes. how a deck does that. So I took the bullet for you there, buddy. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> All right. So, what is the class that you think needs the most support? Uh, well, we're about to get it, but definitely I would have said Ranger coming into this set quite a bit. So, we're about to get some of it, but we'll see. You know, there's a lot of hype thing. It's going to be good enough, and I'm not sure if it's actually going to be good enough. So, I'm going to still go with Ranger with some optimism. All right, so what's the most underrated hero right now, pre-Tales of Aria? Am I still allowed to say Prism, even though it won this absolutely weekend? absolutely say Prism, because that is a no. spicy pick, given the fact that it just won the calling Las Vegas. Yeah, well, I thought it was I thought it was kind of like the most bland hero coming into the event. You know, you're just like, oh, I got these big, dumb angels attack you, <laughs> hope something hits. And then, like, I didn't realize how much of play 
uh, it had. I think some people at home probably didn't realize how much a play and how much, how it could switch roles. So I'm going to go with that. And like kind of the Guardian heroes, I think we're about to get a lot of big stuff for them. So we'll see if that continues as well. All right. So what was your worst mistake that you've ever made on a broadcast? Okay. So this, I got I got, I got some funny ones. Uh, I'll go for this weekend. Um, I made the mistake of saying the phrase like, uh, you guys don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. I try to use gender, gender, gender neutral pronouns as much as I possibly can, uh, for, you know, for obvious reasons. And I just want to, I never say the phrase you guys, and I don't know what happened, but I said it going into one of the commercials. Right. And I immediately took my headset off and got really angry. And my director was like, what's going on? I was like, dude, I said, you guys, and he's like, yeah, I just don't do it again. And I was like, I don't understand. I never say that, but it was kind of like a golfer getting the yips. Oh yeah. Where once I said it, I ended up saying it again. And I was just like so mad at myself because I never do that. I pride myself on like, you know, being better about that saying they, them, you know, just something in general, y'all, you know, yeah. come from the south. It's like you know, having, a, like that. having a bro sneak into like something that yeah. you're saying. Like, where did this yeah. come from? Like what who did... who am I? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it just kind of infiltrates your day and you're yeah. like, are my nervous? Like what the hell happened? Exactly. I think I think maybe some nerves got to me, absolutely. Cause you know, I'm a little un more unsure of myself than I normally am. You know, if it's magic or poker or something or Hearthstone, I can call back on that wealth of knowledge that I have. Like let's say it's a new set. I haven't learned it as much, but you know, I've got years and years of knowledge. This I have like weeks and weeks. One of the other ones, this is something that I was involved in. It wasn't necessarily me, but this is a fun, this is a funny story. I'm not going to name names, but I was doing a live cast once and uh, I had a co-caster and we're just going back and forth chatting. Um, we're, we're vamping for anybody at home that doesn't know what vamping is and you're doing casting. Um, things happen and they're like, hey, we need to fill five minutes. Hey, we need to fill 10 minutes while they get this thing ready and we don't want to go to commercial. So just talk. Right. And that's one of the main reasons they hire people like us. You know, you, me, whoever is, we're just good at talking, right? We can fill dead air. I've got questions ready to go. I've got conversations ready to go. And so my co-caster is going and he's talking and we're like getting into a real conversation and it's like real casual, you know, we're like talking back and forth like you would your buddy. It's, it's real sincere. And he just drops an F-bomb. And we're not supposed to cuss on this broadcast. <laughs> and the thing that's bad about me is I freeze, right? Because I'm just like, he just said he just said the f word you know and like i could see it on his face right he doesn't do the oh my god face but like his eyes got bigger right and he like stiffened up you know and so did i and you know how this is we have a we have an earpiece in and your director can talk to you and my director's going say something say something say anything you know because it's like a good solid five to seven seconds that i don't say anything and that doesn't sound like a long time but on a broadcast and you're going back and forth and talking a lot Seven seconds of silence is forever, especially after something like that. It's an eternity. So, it's just, it's, yeah. It's, yeah, it just festers there. Yeah. So th that was like one of the biggest mistakes I've ever made was not covering for my co-caster because you got to do that, right? Like you got to help each other out. The other person fumbles or messes up in some way, flubs what they're doing, can't remember the name of a card. You're supposed to jump in and help them, right? You know, because you're a team. Yeah, kind of thing. And it's so, the yes and strategy uh, of yes. you know improv of just like whatever they do, you just gotta go with it. And at that point, mm -hmm. uh, I mean, you know, say something. You weren't just gonna go on top of them with something even more vulgar. But nonetheless, at the same time, you you know, I, I can I can definitely feel you on that one. But man, oh man, mm -hmm. uh, especially when it's like rigid rules like that of just don't say anything yeah. bad. <laughs> I just yeah. picture deer in the headlights, completely frozen. Uh, yeah. Tan and Grace. Uh, you have been awesome. One last question for Go Again, and then we'll close the combat chain here, buddy. Sure. What does Flesh and Blood look like in five years? The number one niche game in card games. And I don't mean that in any kind of bad way. It's just, you know, it's no digital, so you're not going to have that 
big huge following that you could possibly like you're missing out on that right like the people who could play on their computer could play on their phone but when it comes to games that are like second to the ones that have been in the upper echelon and will stay there you know the big you know, i'm thinking the the big properties that have been there for like 5 10 15 years i think flesh and blood will be around will be strong but will be one of the top niche games for sure my man i sincerely appreciate it this combat chain is closed that's it for go again Questions have been answered, and uh, the wonderful Tannen Grace, the official caster of the Calling Las Vegas, got to go ahead and not only call the final, but anoint the winner and hand him his prize. Tannen Grace, uh, for all those who might not know where to catch you and all of your wonderful musings, where are you available for the uh, adoring public to go ahead and, and you know, just get more Tannen? Sure. Uh, easiest place to get me is on Twitter, and that's at the Tannen Grace. Uh, very easy. It's, very, it's spelled phonetically, but it's T A N N O N. Um, everything else should be easy enough for you to find. You can check Channel Fireball stuff. They tweeted about it and stuff a lot. So, so did Flesh and Blood of the Weekend. If you're looking for anything like that, and then you can find everything else there. Like all my links to anything else that I do is on there. Like I do a podcast for Magic. Uh, I do some involvement with that stuff as well. And uh, that's about it, really. That's just the easiest way to find me. Hey, it's straightforward, and that's what we like here, my friend. Thank you so much again for being on the Instant Speed Podcast again. Uh, before we go, thanks again. Thanks to uh, – and, and congratulations on your success and uh, your ongoing involvement with Flesh and Blood. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. We've been motionless, just standing.